Welcome to the Unicorn Entrepreneur, the podcast that teaches women entrepreneurs how to create a business that earns more money. I'm Felicia Allison Bunbury Brown, attorney, wife, French bulldog mom, beach bum, and owner of a multiple six figure business. And I'm excited to teach you how to become a unicorn entrepreneur. This podcast is for you if you have a business or want to start a business and want to learn the tricks and tools to get your first client, your first six figures, and so much more than that. If you want more money and more satisfaction, you're in the right place. Pull up your seat. Let's go get them, unicorns. Hi, I'm Felicia Allison Benbury of FeliciaAllisonBenbury.com. Welcome back to another episode of The Unicorn Entrepreneur. If you're new here, welcome to The Unicorn Entrepreneur community, where women entrepreneurs rebel against the status quo and dare to create the business of their dreams. I teach six principles or tenets to help my unicorn friends reach their goals. If you want to learn more about the six tenets, go to FeliciaAllisonBenbury.com. One of the tenets I teach is on selling like a boss. And that's what today's episode is about, how to overcome the five most common sales objections. Okay, so I have clients and they come to me and they say, you know, Felicia, I have everything in order. When I have a potential new client or a PNC, potential new client, I keep on hearing the same objections. And I see a pattern of the objections that are being heard. And I have come up with ways in which to overcome those objections or better yet, prevent those objections from being made in the first place. In order to be a unicorn entrepreneur, you have to be willing to get uncomfortable, right? Lean into that discomfort because on the other side, that's where your money's at. (laughs) Okay. So let's just go ahead and jump right in. So how to overcome price objections in the sale process? Objection number one is the price is too high. The price is too high. That's too high. I can't afford it. That is what is a very common objection. I've heard it. I've overcome it. Okay. It doesn't matter if you keep hearing this objection. It doesn't matter if you lower your price. You probably still will hear it because it's really an objection that is made when your PNC, your potential new client, does not perceive enough value. You have not, you have not presented value, okay, that would justify that particular customer to come out of their pocket, <laughs> their money, to part ways with their hard-earned money. So pricing should not really be discussed until you have completed or the sales pre- presentation, okay? If you're getting that objection, you haven't shown your customer enough value. Do not reveal your price before showing your value. I've been on the other side of sales presentation where someone's like, well, my product is $5,000. Do you want to buy it or not? And I'm like, well, (laughs) um, why would I want to part with my $5,000, you know, and give it to you? What do you bring to the table? What do you do differently? Okay, so let's let's dig in deeper there. Uh, when I do sales presentation, I have a sales script. I call it my million dollar sales script. And I always make sure in everything you do with marketing that you show your value. Now, when I'm sitting 
across or on the phone these days, we're in the time of pandemic, and I am speaking to a potential new client. As I am getting the information, as I'm pre-qualifying them, okay, as I'm priming them, I am also inserting my value. You know, my firm is a father's rights firm. This is something that I've done well over a decade. Oh, I'm familiar with this case. I'm familiar with this judge. Let's do it a different way. Oh, I'm familiar with your problems. I've seen this several times. Actually, my last student with this problem, after we made a few tweaks, she was able to double her revenue in one month. The tweaks we made in that business were we implemented this kind of digital marketing. Okay. We provided this kind of sales script. And I believe that that would serve you too. So in, in, in essence, if you parted ways X amount of dollars today, most likely next month or two months from now, you more than double your profit. This will pay for itself in the first two weeks. You have to tell them what's valuable working with you, what's valuable buying the product from you. Maybe you have a warranty. Maybe you have excellent customer service. You know, maybe you give full access to yourself and cut the red tape. You have to convey the value before you ask for the money. If you ask for the money or you haven't conveyed the value, you will hear this objection a lot, okay? Now, number two, and a common objection that I observe from my students, I have had potential new clients tell me this when I was new in the sales game. And sometimes I still get this objection. This isn't a good time. This isn't a good time. Now, if you're hearing that this isn't a good time, what this is telling me and what it should be telling you is that you did not prime, you did not pre-qualify, you did not ask the correct questions early on in the sales process. And you're wasting your time and you're wasting the client's time. And time is money. What do I mean by that? A question that I ask my potential new clients straight up, and maybe I'll have an intake coordinator ask this question. It may be in a form you have to fill out before a consultation can even be scheduled. Okay. Is this something that you are looking into and you want to do now or, or are you just kicking the tires? Are you just looking around? Are you just curious? And people, I ask that question pointedly and I get pointed answers and people tend to be honest. Oh, I'm just looking. I'm looking. I'm, I'm looking, you know, I'm going to get my tax return in January and this is something I may want to consider. So I'm just calling around. Now, if you have your sales process set up properly, this person doesn't even get placed on your calendar. Okay. That's something that can be answered in an email as far as it's pricing or should be able to be seen on your website or in your onboarding or potential new client intake materials. You have to screen people. If you're a one woman show, like I was for many months, I should say, before I got a team and expanded, then this is something you can automate, right? You, you can automate this through scheduling apps. I won't plug a particular one right now through intake forms prior to scheduling someone. And you just want to, it's basically being able to ask the right questions to see if this is a viable lead. Only viable leads should really be on your calendar for a consultation. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. Okay, so the third objection that's very common in the sales process is I don't have the money. 
I mean, I will say a lot of times it's not true. What that really means is they don't have the money for you. Let's be real. People are buying iPhones for lots of money. People are leasing vehicles. People are having lattes every day that are very expensive. People are getting their hair and nails done. People spend money, find money to spend on things they value. So here we go again. If you're hearing this objection a lot, now there may be a small percentage of people who really don't have the money. Okay, and again, some of this, if you have an automated and detailed intake process and pre-screening process should not really be on your calendar because some people just want to pick your brain or they think you're funny and they want to have a conversation with you, but your time is valuable. Uh, Your time, you cannot get back. It's one commodity that you could be a billionaire. You cannot buy it back. Protect it. Having sales meetings and consultations are important. You want viable leads. You don't want to waste your time with people who truly, if they don't have the money, they're unemployed. They don't have any money in their account. They're couch surfing. That's not a person. We pray for them. We have no animosity. Okay. We, I've been in a situation where I couldn't afford things. And It's just not appropriate to be having a consultation. When you're having a consultation with someone or you're in a sales call, most of the time you're like, you're interested in in what that person's product or service is. If everything aligns, you might mess around and buy something. That's the kind of people you want to schedule and give your time to. Now, I will say this. Person probably doesn't perceive value. They want to get out of the sales process. They may hit you with the, I don't have the money. Okay, you need to work in building up the value. And I'll give you even a little bit more nuance. What's of value to that particular person? And you have to become very good at asking open-ended questions, reading the temperature of your PNC, and finding out what really is important to them and highlighting that in your product or service. Okay, so if they don't perceive the value, they'll go up the block and buy it from someone else who did a better job. So when you are in that situation, you respond with a question and you lead into the discomfort, okay? And you want that question to be an open-ended question. Okay, so you don't have the money. Why did you say that? This is a $2,000 product. Uh, We do offer payment plans. If you're really interested, uh, you wouldn't be able to afford it. Or what's really going on here? What's What's really your concern? And let them respond. They may respond, well, actually, and give you the real reason that's going on. And then you're going to have to deal with that objection. Okay. Number four, I need to think about it. I need to think it over. I need to think it over. Now, this may be valid because I have studied the psychology of the sales and there are different buyers. I'm a very decisive buyer. So I'm either going to buy it or not buy it on the spot. I do my research myself. And I'm either going to bite or not. Um, There's some people, okay, I have a friend who needs to read every review and speak to two or three people who had that same experience and then pray on it. And then, you know, read tea leaves. And and then eventually, five months down the line, she will then buy the product. (laughs) And there's that kind of person out there. We have different people with different personalities and a different decision-making process, okay? So what I will say, there may be a person who does need to think it over. And I've had those clients who said, listen, I need to think about it and came back a couple weeks later with a check 
um, or made, you know, made a payment online and was ready to rock and roll. So it's not always someone being less than honest with you. Sometimes they really need to think about it. They want to check you out. They want to check their finances. They want to pray to God, whatever the case may be. So there's some people who may have a valid, it may not be like them giving you the okie doke. It might be for real. Um, so I just want to put that, that out there. I don't want to be completely cynical because again, there's lots of different situations out there that are valid. Now in this situation, your job is to make the next step for follow-up very, very clear. You want to make sure that your PNC has their calendar out and that you lock them in to a date and time for a follow-up conversation. The way in which I like to handle this is that I, I usually do one to two follow-ups within a two-week period. If I do not hear anything back, then I move on, okay? But if the person says in two weeks, I won't follow up with them prior to that two-week period, the first follow-up would be that two-week period that they said that they you know, would have a decision. And then we would follow up a second time. Some people go five, six, seven times. I, I don't believe in being that aggressive. At this stage of my life, I don't want to work with anyone I have to work that hard to get. I think that you should be aggressive, but I'm not interested in being five, six times aggressive of following up um, with that person, but to each its own. I just wanted to give you guys that little tidbit. Now, it's also important that you're vulnerable and you make it okay to be vulnerable in this sales conversation. You want to be able to say, hey, is there something I missed? I really thought that this was a good fit for you. It seemed like you want you know, to buy, and now it seems like you need to think it over. And just don't argue. Don't get sales bread. Lean back and listen. And they may tell you something that you need to know that you need to button up in your sales process or in your sales script. You have to be open. You have to be open to what they're telling you because if you're hearing the same thing consistently, then you may need to make a tweak. Now, the fifth objection, I need to speak with my husband or somebody else, my pastor, my sister, my cousin, Tootie, who's an attorney, whatever. Okay. Now, I'm going to have to just go ahead and be honest with you. <laughs> That's why you're here. If you're getting this objection again for the third time, you didn't properly pre-qualify the lead and have a thorough discovery process. The point of having an intake sheet, the point of emailing particular questions, the point of having a VA, a virtual assistant who calls ahead of time to schedule to put someone on your calendar is really to find out if this person is kicking tires or not, okay? Able to buy right now, assuming all things are equal and there's ways to massage it and inquire, oh, did you go to the website and see that, you know, the packages and do you have any questions about it? You don't want them to outright ask for the money because again, then you're falling into before value is presented, by the person performing the consultation, you fall into someone asking them for money and them not perceiving value and them being turned off. And they may not even know why they're turned off. Just doesn't feel right asking me for money. You know, I haven't spoken to, you know, the person yet. I don't know anything. That's not going to feel right. So you have to make sure you're training up the intake VA properly so that they don't cost you lots of money. Now, in that pre-qualifying process, if there's going to be another person, you need to determine what 
your potential new client, your PNC, you need to determine what their decision-making process is. So also, how do you typically make decisions about things like this or potential purchases in this price point? Okay. And they say, oh, you know, I got to pray. Or like, oh, I'm here because I'm interested. I just want to have a conversation with, you know, whoever the person in charge is person. And you'll be able to usually assess the temperature of that PNC in that particular situation. But you have to do it. There's no, if you're having conversations in the sales presentation and every single time it's different and in every size, it's depending on your mood. If you have lunch after, it might be 10 minutes. If it's, you know, if you're really short with money, you're going to have sales breath and have it for 45 minutes. You're doing it wrong. It has to be like a well-oiled machine, it has to be like an assembly line, and it has to be consistent every time. This way you can measure what's working, what's not working, and make the necessary tweaks. Now, with this last one, way in which you can combat it is pre-qualify properly, and you catch that in the intake process, and then you schedule the person who is a part of that decision-making, so a husband in this situation, let's go ahead and jump on that Zoom. Let's do that three-way call. And then you have your sales presentation. You do not want them going back and trying to explain your product or service. Because first of all, they're not you. They're not excited about it. They don't have all the sizzle and dazzle. And so, you know, it's not going to translate. And your chances of getting a sale is substantially lower that way. What you wanna do is schedule whoever it is to be a part of that. And you need to convince both people. That's how you do that. If you know me, you know I'm obsessed with the tools and tricks to help unicorn entrepreneurs level up their businesses. Now to increase revenue, add more zeros to your bank account, it's necessary to create, nurture, and convert your tribe. I've used several email service providers and I've discovered that ConvertKit is the best by far. They're flexible, easy to use, and they have amazing customer service. That's not all. ConvertKit makes it super easy to give out opt-ins or lead magnets. You can also add multiple lead magnets and forms to the same list, which is awesome. ConvertKit also makes it super easy to automate emails to your tribe. Want to sign up and support this podcast? Great. Go to the show description and double click the relevant link. Now back to the show. Now, I want to tell you guys a little bit about uh, how I got into sales, studying sales, and just, you know, it's really the lifeblood of any business. It's certainly the lifeblood of my business, and it's my secret sauce. And I think that most people don't pay attention to it and they're missing a lot of money because their sales process is not consistent, because their sales process, intake process is not measured, because they have money mindset issues, et cetera. Don't like being uncomfortable, which a sales conversation is uncomfortable because you're talking about money. They are leaving money on the table and unicorns just simply do not do that, guys. We just don't. That's not for us. We're, we're different. <laughs> we take the money on the table. <laughs> we 
and we put it in our bank accounts and we take care of our communities, our, our families and whatever political views we have and whatever social causes we want to fight and whatever research is against cancer and ALS and, you know, coronavirus that we want to fund, we do it with our big fat checkbooks. And that's how change gets made. But I want to tell you guys a story um, pretty much of when I moved to Florida about four years ago. And I'm an attorney. I was an attorney in New York working for a really good firm, making really good money. And I decided to, and I love the work, actually. I didn't love the work environment. It was toxic. That's going to be another podcast, probably. I left to be with my family here in Florida because my grandpa passed away. And um, my entire maternal side of the family was here. So my mom was here. My brother and sister were here. My grandma, my aunts and uncles, cousins, etc. And if you know me, you know that God and family and my puppy <laughs> are everything to me. So I came here and I had to take the bar and do all of the things, wait for my bar result, and then wait to get admitted. Now, the time it took for me to take the bar, I took it in February. I found out I passed it, I think, in April. And I did not get admitted until September because it just took a long time because they had to do all kinds of background checks. And in that time, I met a boy. He became my boyfriend and he was in sales and he, you know, I was a little hard up for cash because I wasn't, I didn't have what I called my big girl job. I didn't have my lawyer job here in Florida. And it was sort of a situation where I was too qualified to do anything, right? Like you made this kind of money, you have this kind of education. So it sort of left me in a weird position and uh, it was a little rough. Um, but thank you, God. I think I, he, God was pushing me down that path because I needed a certain skill set of learning how to sell like a unicorn, like a boss. And my boyfriend at the time was in sales. He didn't really like it a lot. He didn't really do that great in sales, but he kept on saying, he's like, wow, Alicia, you're really persuasive. Wow, I really think you'd be great at sales. I think you should try it. I think you should try it. And I was like resistant to it because it just seems so abstract. I've never had a sales job. And all I know is just not a consistent check. So that made me nervous, but I tried it. And we, he and I got a job together selling timeshare. I never knew what timeshare was. Like I kind of had an idea it had something to do with vacations, but I didn't understand the nuts and bolts. And I certainly didn't know it was as expensive as it is in such a multi-million dollar, maybe even billion dollar business, especially here in Florida. So I went to one of the big timeshare companies, did their six weeks sales course. They have a course, or you can say a training that you have to pass in order to get into the sales floor. I did that course. I attacked it like I attack everything. I started to listen to every YouTube video on sales, on timeshare sales, every podcast, every blog. I started waking up early. I started memorizing my sales script. I started recording my sales script and playing it back to myself. I um, had little positive um, sayings and affirmations and stickies all over the house because if you are doing sales, especially face-to-face -face sales, there's a transference of energy. 
And if you're rejected a few times, it can really mess with your self-esteem. So you have to consistently work to keep your mind positive and not be discouraged because you may have, you know, not been able to sell two, three, four times. Because you get, if you get into that negative thought process, then you're really going to get sales breath. That's when you're just so desperate for sales that you're like being aggressive and it's like palatable and it turns the potential client away. So all of that happened. And okay, so I'm at Wyndham. I started, I understood what timeshare was. Here's the thing. I was good at it. I was good at this job. What do you mean say I was excellent at it? But I didn't enjoy the job because philosophically, I did not believe that buying a timeshare is a good investment based on my financial uh, philosophy. I just didn't, the math didn't work out for me, but I just, I guess, justified it in my mind at the time, looking back as, hey, to each its own. My job is to make the presentation razzle dazzle and leave that decision up to the potential new client. Now, I will tell you, timeshare sales is the hardest kind of sell out there because nobody actually goes to those. It's like the hotel offers potential leads, potential clients, a free stay at the hotel or free breakfast or whatever to get them to agree to come to a 90-minute in-person presentation. And there's a presenter in a general room that sort of sizzles, as I call the PNC. They tell them about all of the different destinations and all of the amazing things and the lazy river. And it just makes it look so sexy and fabulous and delicious. And after there's that initial, I believe, like 30 minute presentation, then for 60 minutes, you take the potential client on a tour of the resort and you're selling to them as you're walking, and then you come back to a room and then you you know ask them to part with anywhere between $30,000 and like $150,000. You heard me right. And at this particular time, I had bills to pay. And I didn't know when my, uh, I was gonna get admitted to the bar here in Florida. So I was like, you know, taking this seriously. And how it works is that you get one or two tours, depending on how many tours are available a day. And you literally only work, I would say, the equivalent of part-time hours. You have to get there like at six o'clock in the morning. If you actually sell a timeshare, you may be there till maybe 12, one, latest two, three o'clock. But if you don't sell, it's the 90-minute tour, you get sent home. But if you don't, when you're in training, you get paid pretty well, you know, can't remember what it is but it's well, it's well above the minimum wage. But after you are on the floor, you get paid very little and it's pretty much like you need a real estate license for this as well. You're gonna only make good money if you are converting those leads. And that was my training in sales. And I just became a beast, I, I would say. Um, and I say in the most humble way, but it was just the most crazy thing to me. And at the time it was just like so surreal and out of body. So what do I mean? Well. I sold, I think, on my first tour, and I was only at this job for six months because then I got admitted to the bar and I got a big girl job, (laughs) you know, get back to something I felt passionately about, but I sold a lot, and I was often, the way at the sales job, they show you where you are on the board, so if there's 15 people, you're either one or 15, and if you're below a certain line, they fire you. 
if you're not producing, they fire you. This is like NFL cuts. This is a real dog-eat-dog kind of um, Shark Tank environment. So people have bills to pay, children, medical bills, all the things that every human being has. And if you're not selling, you can get fired and you're not making money. So I did extremely well. I was on track to make President's Club. I did so well that the top guy there, he would have me basically take all of his tours out for him. And he would just close at the end after I did the warming up and all the things. And everybody tried to get me to do that. And some people would want to listen to me. And it really got to the point where people started hating on me. Um, some people started hating on me at the office, but that's a whole nother podcast. I think that's going to be episode eight. But I really, and, and by the way, this is not, oh, Felicia, you're a lawyer. Lots of lawyers go into timeshare, can't sell one thing. I know many lawyers who cannot pay themselves a salary and have had a firm for several years. So this is not a lawyer, doctor, you know, sewer, painter thing. This is a mentality thing. And this is, I believe, a skill set that can be learned. I think some people may have more personality or natural talent. And I think that pretty much happened to me. I have certain natural talents that lend it, lends itself to sales. However, it's a skill that anyone can teach themselves. So that is my background of how I became really good at sales. And I didn't know because I never had quote unquote sold anything before. Now we're all selling our ideas, ourselves, our, you know, in life, our, hey, I want you to agree with my point. You know, these are my arguments. So that's, you know, everything is a little micro sell, but I never had a sales job. I never knew anything about sales process and objections and all that until that timeshare job. And at the time, I just really didn't like the job or care for a lot of the people there. Um, I cared for some of them. They're awesome and they're still my friends. But I understand now why God was taking me to there because that skill set that I learned and honed there, when I started my law firm, the Fab Law Firm, I approached it the same way as far as when I had potential clients. And the same way when I had $1,000 in my pocket, my boyfriend, uh, I guess my fiance at that time, he and I broke up and... Therefore, my safety net wasn't there. And, you know, he's the one who convinced me to quit a legal big girl job making very good money so we can get married and have a family. Then it didn't work out. And I had no net and I had no plan B. So I implemented, I thought of, I've made a sales script. I, you know, I've implemented from a sales standpoint a lot of things that I learned from a selling timeshare. And as a result, I was able in the first two weeks to make $12,000 and then the second month, $24,000 and then so on and so forth. And it was crazy. In the first four months of my business, I had revenue wise earned six figures, which is crazy. You know what I mean? And I, I mean, this is why. And then on this podcast, this is what I'm teaching. These little things or big things, this is what's going to allow for you not to be average and taupe and just have a business with no sales script, get objections from PNC, have no way or concept of how to handle those objections. Those are unprepared people. Those are not unicorns. That's not you and I. We do things differently. 
and then we get the results that we need. Okay, so I was just sharing that story with you guys so you could understand the sales background. And honestly, the sales is still the lifeblood of my businesses today because now I have the unicorn entrepreneur, the consulting, and I'm seeing the same success. And, you know, the first clients I had, coaching clients, were my brother who opened up a moving company, CMB Movers, and my my sister and her husband who opened up a fencing company, Blue Vine Fencing. And these same principles I told them. And then they, it was just like crazy. They went from zero to 100 revenue-wise. And then I then decided to offer it to more people. And then here we are. Because I wanted us to get to know each other a little bit. And I wanted to share that story with you guys. I really enjoyed this podcast. I hope you got a lot out of it. Please comment. And I can't wait to see you guys next week. All right, unicorns, let's go get them. Want to be a part of a community of amazing women unicorns crushing it in life and business? Then head over to our private Facebook community, The Unicorn Entrepreneur. It's free and fabulous. The benefits are plentiful. Community of forward-thinking women, access to me. And if you're enjoying the conversations we're having here on the podcast, we continue some of those conversations and we deep dive. We look forward to serving you. Let's go get them, unicorns. Unicorns.